The series is Overture. It's about desires that we have that kind of signal a bright hope of tomorrow, those desires that don't seem to fit into a broken world. We have desires, we have ideals that, that we know we are made for. And, and we look around and we see the approximate way, the three-quarters of a mile that they run in this world, and it is a signal to us that we're made for more. This morning we're talking about that, that notion or that theme within the overture of life, of that deep resonant sense of rest and peace, a quiet assurance that we have through faith, that quiet strength that you have in certain moments that, that comes like manna from the sky, uh, that that. that those, those moments that are just sacred and precious and you think, boy, I'd love to just sort of stay right here. How can we strengthen those moments? Can we strengthen that quiet strength? From the Word of God, Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 17. Another miracle and another speech from Peter. Hear God's word this morning. Now, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a lame man from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms, and Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John. And said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver or gold, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. Men of Israel... Why do you wonder at this, or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. May God add his blessing to this, his holy word. Let us pray. 
Father, bless this word now in us as we receive it, not only into our minds, but to believe it in our hearts that we may live it through our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, we've been talking about strength for today from bright hope of tomorrow. Sometimes we borrow trouble from the future rather than hope, don't we? We meditate. I've told you before, you know how to meditate. It's no mystery. Worry is meditation, right? Sometimes we borrow trouble from the future rather than strength. Mark Twain said, I have suffered some terrible things in my life, some of which have actually come true, right? So sometimes we're borrowing trouble from the future. You know, think about it this way. Um, you're, you're standing and you're late and you're waiting for the warm water to come out of the shower head and it just 10 seconds feels like an eternity or maybe it's the death wheel on your, on your computer and like it, you're, you, you're wanting this, this website to load and five seconds, you know, just feels like a crisis, you know. <laughs> it really does feel that way sometimes, doesn't it? It's a crisis you're having because it takes more than five seconds for that website to load. Or maybe somebody, you're behind somebody and they're driving along and you're thinking, why are they going so slowly? And then you look down and you realize they're five miles per hour over the speed limit. What is this? You know, we have all these time-saving features in our life that have just sped us up. And you know, every now and then, you and I reflect on those kinds of moments where we're late or where we're concerned about something or where there's something on the horizon and then it comes and it goes. And every now and then, you and I honestly reflect and we think, now why was I so worked up about that thing? The concern and the worry passed like a bad dream. And, and I wonder, can you put yourself in that moment and ask yourself, how do you get that kind of confidence, not in retrospect, but in forethought? That's the value that sometimes we have that comes by faith. We have an assurance of faith, a peace, a rest, a quiet strength that sometimes eludes us. Can we build on it? Can we build it? Can God build it up in us, this assurance that comes by faith? Yes, I think we can. Look at this passage again. Let's look at it together for uh, the ways that God grows our assurance and confidence and quiet strength. Through his bigger plan, his future plan, through our past heroes, and through our present practice. So it's a future, past, present kind of thing. These are the handlebars. And we're going to wind around some things, but I want you to be able to have some handlebars to hold on to as we go. So God's future plan can bring us greater assurance. Our past heroes and our present practice. Let's take a look. First, the future, God's plan for the future, his bigger reasons, right? The mystery of that. Even when circumstances don't resolve, we can have a quiet strength in God's sovereignty, his bigger plan. Verse 6, you see, Peter says, Silver or gold have I none, right? I don't have any gold or silver. He says, look at us. It's like, you know, it, it should be self-evident. We are not the well-to-do. 
is what he's saying to them. Look at us. I don't have anything to give you, but what I do have, I give to you. Now, what he's talking about here in context is that whether or not the circumstances work out. Look, here Peter and John are their circumstances. I mean, should, should he pray that their circumstances would improve? I'm sure he has. So whether, whether you're standing here like Peter with, with, with nothing to give in your pockets or whether God is bringing something that is mysterious and unexplainable into your life that changes your circumstances, whether or not circumstances change, he's saying there is a quiet assurance in the moment from understanding that God is bigger than our plans. Don't pass by that. God's reasons. Sometimes God's mysteries of his yes or his no or his wait can bring us a stronger sense of assurance. Now, I want to read to you a poem, a very short three-line poem called a haiku by a man named Kobayashi Isa. Famous poem uh, in, in the East that, that begs a question about the mystery of life and of God over our lives. The, the, the backstory is this, that Kobayashi Isha had a, a, a son and who, who died um, just shortly after birth. And then, uh, not two and a half years later, he had a daughter who died uh, just days after her birth. And then he wrote this poem. The world of dew. The world of dew indeed. And yet... And yet, that's the poem. That is the most poignant and yet and yet I've ever heard. The world of do. Do. Peter talks about do on the grass in his letter. He talks about the, the fact that life you know, just evaporates sometimes, just like do. And here's Isa, and he's saying looking at his sorrow. And he was not a believer. And he looked at his sorrows with a great sense of mystery. And can you hear laden or just sort of laced within what he's saying? A bigger, mysterious hope. Can you hear it? A world of dew. A world of dew indeed. And yet, and yet, he's searching for what you know as a believer, that we're created for more. Chesterton said it this way. He said this about, about Job and his suffering. Chesterton was talking about the book of Job. And he said, uh, and the book of Job only answers mystery with mystery in the book of Job. Job is comforted with riddles, but he is comforted. You see? Job is comforted with riddles, but he is comforted. You see, Peter is saying, look, he's saying to the crowd, and this whole passage speaks of this, whether God sends the miracle or not, there is comfort in the bigger plan, the future plan, the mysterious 
plan and reasons of God. There is comfort to be found there. Job is comforted only by riddles, but he is comforted. You know, I think this is what people are searching for when they say, when you hear them say, everything happens for a reason. This is one of these Christian platitudes that I think you don't want to say to somebody who is suffering. Now, if somebody who is suffering says it to themselves, I, you know, you don't want to step in and say, well, you know, you know, the preacher said on Sunday that you shouldn't say that. Now, just leave it alone. But often what we're looking for when we say uh, there's a reason for everything, this, this cliche or this platitude is, is just sort of trying to justify something that can't be justified. Life is full of these broken places, and it's not right. But that is a mysterious and powerful hope. The fact that you know that when things aren't right, they're not right. That's what Peter's talking about here. Look at this guy, 40, 40 to 45 years old. He'd been sitting there at the beautiful gate in a place where, you know, uh, all of the well-to-do normally come in. And he's looking for a handout. Everybody knows who he is. Everybody knows his story. Everybody is familiar. He's a fixture in the temple. And Peter is drawing this contrast between what God chose to do, the mysterious power of God. You know, even, even Jesus sometimes, it, there's a mystery to, to the workings. You know, when, when the woman reaches out and touches the hem of his garment, and, he, and he's sort of like, hey, something, somebody touched me, right? There's, there's, there's some mystery there that cannot be managed. And Peter's saying, don't. Don't try to find your hope just in the mystery and trying to manage as though this came from us, as though it's sort of you pull the right letters, levers, you say the right prayers. So look beyond this. Look in the bigger picture. Look at yourselves. Look at your own need. Look at your hunger. Look at the fact that you can see that things aren't right and need to be put right. And search your soul for the fact that there is a desire for something to be put right. There's going to be a time for each and every one of us. There there are times in every one of our lives when you need to internalize, you and I need to internalize what the scriptures are saying right here, that God will comfort us beyond the circumstances in the mystery and power of his future plan. Can you embrace that? Now's the time. Not when you're out at Laurel Hill and there's somebody that you're burying that you love. That's, a, that's an experience that I have pretty, pretty frequently where there I'm looking into the faces of people who are asking questions. Now is the time to understand that everyone who is healed later must face their mortality, including Jesus. And so there is quiet strength in the future plans of God for the bigger reasons and the greater scope of God's mysterious plan, his yes, his no, or his wait. But there's also a, a way to build up your, 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 your restfulness or your peace, your assurance, that quiet strength. There's a way to build that up just by looking at heroes of the past as well. Look at the heroes of the past. People who have Taken that baton, people who have inspired you in your life. 
Verse 13, he says, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. He's, he's grounding what's, happened, what, what's happening in that moment. He's grounding it in Scripture again, in Peter's speech. He's grounding it in the Scriptures. He's grounding what's happening in history. Now, this is something, this is kind of an idiom, and, it, and, it, and, and it's pretty frequent in the Scriptures where it says, the God of, the God of, the God of, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. He doesn't say, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He says, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. It's as if to say, every generation must take the baton of faith. Every generation must take it up on their own. You've heard somebody say, uh, maybe you've heard somebody say, God doesn't have any grandchildren. He only has children, right? <laughs> every generation, you, you cannot by absentia or just by osmosis Walk a life of faith because people ahead of you have. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of this generation. Who are the mentors in your life that inspire you? What are the mementos in your household? Maybe there's a family Bible or maybe it's your grandmother's Bible. And you go and you open that up and you see what she underlined. You see what she put a star by. You see... You see the places that, where the coffee stains are, are, uh, are on the page, the places where she might have lingered. What coffee stains are you leaving? And how, has, how have the people that have gone before you, how are they inspiring you today? Are you accounting for the people that God has put in your life on purpose? You know, think of, of your parents. They're not perfect people, right? Or maybe you're a parent, and you're not perfect. There aren't perfect parents. There aren't perfect people. There's only, there's only one perfect person. We know that. But there are people who can inspire us. When I think of my parents, and I think of, um, of how they dealt with the death of my brother, to be a parent and to lose a child like that, and to be able to walk out a life of faith. After I became a father, I had a much greater sense of appreciation for how they resolved to pursue their faith and to lead our family through that time. You know, at the time, I just, you know, when, when you're young, when you're a teenager, you're always looking at the deficits. You know, you're always looking for excuses like, you know, you're not perfect and I'm going to do whatever I want. And then you begin to have a greater sense of perspective. And we can have that anytime we want it. We can have the inspiration from previous generations anytime we want it. Are you looking at it? Are you accounting for it? Who are those people in your life? Maybe some of them need to hear from you. Just a simple note. Thank you for the way that, that you did that. Thank you for teaching me. Thank you for challenging me. Um, thank you for the ways that quietly, without anyone noticing, you are walking so faithfully. Who are those people? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Peter knows that these people need their faith grounded in Scripture and in history and framed up 
according to what they're going to face tomorrow. You don't always have the miracle that you're asking for in the moment. It's not an on-demand kind of gifting. They're saying, look, the gift to heal this person is not on demand. It's on call. We're always on call for faith. We don't know what the results will be and how God will, but we are called to act in faith. And that really leads us to the last step of strengthening the quiet strength that you want moment to moment. And that is to let in the present moment, not just the future promise and God's greater mysteries, not just the past people who've inspired you and have taken the baton, but in the present moment to actually practice your faith, to let your faith lead in the moments, especially difficult moments, not to sort of protect it and make excuses and constantly have left brain apologetic reasons and answers for everything, but to let that situation be guided in faith, to let your faith go out there on the front line, to let it get exposed and even sometimes a little beat up and see what happens. Not to shield faith, not to closet it and sort of like somehow that's going to protect it, but to get it out there, to exercise in the difficult moments your faith, to pray that bold prayer and see what God does, even with a no. To see what he does in your life, even when you boldly say, in no wimpy prayer kind of way, you say, God, I, I you know, Jesus demonstrates this. He says, you know, he knows what has to be done on the cross, and yet he prays, let this cup pass from me. Isn't that amazing? Jesus understands and is present in your presence. He understands even with someone who has a hundred-year view, a thousand-year view, and an infinity kind of view of, the, of, and can put it into context, Jesus wept of the tomb of Lazarus. Jesus experienced and can empathize with your presence moment as someone acquainted with grief. He prayed, let this cup pass, yet not my will, but thine be done. And so here he is in that place we often find ourselves between what we want and what God seems to be offering us in the moment. And he demonstrates a vulnerability of want, a vulnerability of honest desire. You see, he let his faith lead in the present moment. He put it out there, knowing that there is some, that there is in some way God is at work through the means of our faith, of our prayer, of our trusting in him. He is at work in those moments, even when he doesn't give us exactly what we want. Maybe instead of withholding that cup, instead of changing circumstances and somehow making it so it's not necessary for him to die on the cross, he, he, he might uh, prevail over circumstances without having to endure all that. Or maybe he has to give Mary a consolation and say, Mary, behold your son. You know, I think it's an amazing contrast. Uh, 
where, where, where Jesus is, where, where Paul, Peter is saying, silver or gold have I none. Do you see the contrast? Silver or gold have I none. I don't have anything in this present world can offer you, but here's what I do have. I've got some faith, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to exercise my faith in this moment. And here Jesus is saying, you know, uh, I don't have a miracle for you, Mary, right now, but what I do have, I give, John. You know, see, John Newton said this, everything is necessary that God sends our way. Nothing can be necessary that he withholds. Everything is necessary God sends our way. Nothing can be necessary that he withholds. You know, um, I think this is why Peter is saying in verse 12. Why, why, here, let's go back and read it again. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or what, when he saw them gathering. Why do you wonder? Why do you stare at us as, it, as though it's by our own power and piety we have made him walk? The God of, and then he pivots and he shows them. The rest of the passage is, look at the condition of your sin. He has such faith in faith when faith is centered on Jesus Christ. He has such faith in the kind of assurance that will come, the kind of confidence that will come. Not in the miracle in the moment, but in pointing them to reality, what they did and what they actually need. That after all the miracles have been said and done, after all of the healing, after everything, you and I still need to face our own mortality and saying, deal with yourself. Deal with your condition, not just marveling at the miracle uh, over the symptoms of our condition, but deal with your condition. Uh, this past week, Tim Keller uh, published an article in The Atlantic. Tim was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer earlier in, in the year, and he has been wrestling with his own mortality on an emotional level. You know, if any of you know who he is, he's the Presbyterian minister in New York City, he planted uh, Redeemer Presbyterian Church has written a bunch of books, including Walking with People Through Pain and Suffering, which is a great book. And now he's having to practice the things he's been teaching to other people, you see? That's different. It's different when you're the one. It's different when you're the one emotionally. It's different when you're the one who's wrestling with the truths on an emotional level. And he's been wrestling. And, and it's such a great gift when someone's so transparent, not to say, hey, I've got it all figured out and... You know, I just looked back at one of my old sermons and I'm like, yeah, great. This is yeah, fantastic. I got it. I got this. But he's saying, you know, there is a wrestling that takes place to, to authentically take ownership of the hope that we have in Christ. He said this, had I been slipping unconsciously into the supposition that God lived for me rather than I for him, that life should go well for me? That I knew better than God. The answer was yes, to some degree. I found that to embrace God's greatness, to say, Thy will be done, was painful at first, and then, perhaps counterintuitively, profoundly liberating. To assume that God is as small and finite as we are may feel freeing, but it offers no remedy for anger. So, 
here's Newton. I mean, here is, here's Keller, who's internalizing what, what Newton tells us and what you see throughout this scripture. The contrast that Peter's drawing between the miraculous moment and the mystery of God. Everything is necessary that God sends our way. Nothing can be necessary that he withholds. Let's pray together. Holy God, how we thank you that you are equal to our need, even when it seems you're silent and absent. Would you strengthen our quiet strength through the means of your mysterious presence in our life, through the forward-looking hope that we have, through the heroes of our present and past. And help us, Lord, to pray boldly step into our difficulties and circumstances, whether they change or not, and let the consequences fall upon our faith. In Jesus' name.